This teaching comes to you from the team at St Mark's Darling Point, Sydney. We hope that it blesses you. On January the 1st this year, just when everyone was looking for a New Year's resolution or feeling guilty about not having one, Netflix released a series called Tidying Up with Mary Kundo. Did anyone watch that series? A few. Now, you may not have heard of uh, Marie Kondo, Kondo, but because of her, the council clean-up here in Darling Point in January was bigger than anything I've ever seen. People all over Darling Point were tidying their sock drawers, folding their T-shirts and asking whether the things they own spark joy in their lives. The, uh, the clothing bin, the Anglicare clothing bin, was swimming in bags of disused clothes, uh, rejected clothes. Now, what's the appeal of Marie Kondo? Well, our lives are chaotic and we feel overwhelmed and unable to manage it. Is that a familiar feeling? We fight disorder in one area and it pops up somewhere else. And what Marie Kondo offers us is a way to start feeling in control of the mess, literally the mess that that surrounds you every day. She makes tidying up your home a spiritual exercise. And this is her rule. She says, keep only those things that speak to your heart. Then take the plunge and discard all the rest. That's a pretty tough uh, thing for pets, I would have thought. You really hope your cat still speaks to your heart. By doing this, you can reset your life and embark on a new lifestyle. Today, we're going to think about a set of rules that are also a response to the disorder and chaos of human life. It's perhaps the most famous law code of all time, the Ten Commandments. And as with Marie Kondo, these laws tell us something about the world and they guide us as to how how best to live in it. But these laws tell us that something is wrong with the world that is far deeper than the mess that surrounds us that the problem of disorder is far deeper than the clutter in our houses. And they tell us, too, that the solution is much greater. We invite chaos into our lives, not because we're untidy, but because we fail to love God and to love our neighbours as ourselves. And the best way to be a human being, the antidote to chaos, is to pursue love, to love God and to love your neighbour. Now, when we think of laws, we think of restrictions. We imagine the Ten Commandments in a kind of Monty Python-esque context, I imagine. We think the rules as a prison, the thou shalt not booming out and restricting, destroying all our fun. But I want to convince you today that this law of God, when God speaks to us, is the sweetest and healthiest way to live your life. These are the laws of freedom, the laws of true love. And these laws are written into the fabric of the universe itself. Well, what's the story so far? Israel, you might remember, has been living under the tyranny of the Egyptian king, the pharaoh, slaving to build his stadiums or to rebuild his stadiums and roads and buildings and temples and having their children killed by him. Their life under the commands of this king 
was in a way neat and tidy. You couldn't say that life in Egypt was chaotic for the people of Israel, but it was oppressive. It was tyrannical. Now they've been led into freedom by the Lord God, the one who had revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush as I am who I am, I will be who I will be, or Yahweh as we transliterate uh, and uh, transliterate it. And Moses has come down to the people and led them out. They've passed through the Red Sea on dry land and they've been supplied with food and drink, with manna from the heavens and uh, water from the rock. They've witnessed before their own eyes, just how extraordinarily powerful the Lord is and that he is indeed terrifyingly, awesomely powerful. But they've also seen that he is for them, that he wants to be their God and for him to be their people, that he wants to rescue them, to save them and to take them to a new land and give them new life. And so now what? Well, they've gathered on the way to the promised land around Mount Sinai, at the foot of Mount Sinai. And the Lord has said to them there, I will make you my treasured possession. We heard this last week. My holy nation, my royal priesthood. I want to be with you. I want to be in relationship with you. And what will this mean? Well, at this moment, he delivers them the law, the Ten Commandments, these ten words. And these laws are the laws of their new life, the laws of their freedom, not of their slavery. This is to be the shape of their life together with God in his land as his people. It's the law that will lead them to flourish. It will bring them life. And there's some things to notice about this collection of laws as a whole. We haven't got time to go through each one, but as a whole, there's some certain things about this, this collection of sayings that really stand out. Firstly, we see here that worship and ethics go together. Secondly, we see that these these rules, these laws, reveal the character of God himself. Thirdly, we notice that they address the whole of human life. And lastly, we see that these rules are really about love. So the first thing to notice, you can't separate moral behavior from right worship of God. They go together hand in hand. You'll notice that there's a sort of structure here. The first four commandments are about God, relating to God, and the second six are about how you relate in community with other people. Now, I often speak to people who say, look, I don't believe in God, but I do believe in Christian values. I really like Christian values. This is a very common way of thinking these days. In 2017, a British government survey was conducted in which they asked people about the Ten Commandments. They asked, first of all, Regardless of whether you are religious or not, which of the Ten Commandments do you believe are the most important principles to live by? People had already said the Ten Commandments are are great principles to live by. Which ones? Well, what they found was that people were very keen on the last six commandments but couldn't even name the first four, the ones about how to worship God. They couldn't even remember them. But you haven't got the Ten Commandments, if you think you can separate morality from God. This is because morality comes from God and is about relating to God. He is the good Lord and he is the judge. It's his law. It's not some 
arbitrary set of principles. It's not a code developed by a very good person or a philosopher. It's the law of God. It has to do with relating to him. And exclusive worship of him is actually essential to human life. It's not just bossy for him to say or narcissistic for him to say, you shall have no other gods before me. It's the first commandment. And to say, you shall not make you for yourself an idol, shall not set up some alternative God, or for God to say that he is a jealous God. The truth is that these other gods will fail you, whether they are literally other deities or the other things we give our hearts to, like money or power or social standing or success or pleasure. These things, if we worship them, will destroy us. These things consume us. These things are not for us. And we will not find the freedom to carry out the other commandments if we do not know the Lord who saves us. Israel had to remember, in fact, the first statement of the Ten Commandments was, I am the Lord, the Lord your God who led you out of Egypt. Remember that. God had saved them from slavery. That was the basis for everything else. The Ten Commandments are about a relationship with the Lord who saves and that's really the second thing about the law, about the Ten Commandments. The law reveals to us the character of God himself. God is in his word here. To obey his law is to be like him. To hear his law is to hear his character describes, described. We don't make false promises by his name or tell lies because he is the God who speaks the truth and commits to his promises and never fails on them. We don't commit the treacherous act of adultery because he is the faithful God. We don't kill because he is the God of the living. We do not steal because he is the God who is generous beyond measure and gives us time and time again the things we need, blesses us always. And we rest. We rest because he himself rested on the seventh day he is the God who delights in his creation. And so we too should take time to delight in it and to relate to him in it. Thank him for it. And we should shape our society so that there is a chance for rest in it and for others to rest in it. In God's law, we see what God cares about. We can see what he hates it's a bit like, I know yesterday you went to vote and you were, you were treated to a barrage of papers uh, from different uh, groups as you went in to vote, uh, and you got that How to Vote card from the different political parties and you could see there what they were for, what they stood for and what they stood against. The Ten Commandments tells us, if you like, what God's policies are. These are the things he will act to defend. These are the things he will punish. We see the character of God in this list of commands. The third thing about the law is that it addresses the whole of human life. It addresses us as whole human beings. It's a total package. We are creatures of thoughts and words and actions. And so God tells us here what to think, what to say, and what to do in the first four commands, and then what to do, what to say, and what to think in the second six 
It's a kind of ring pattern there, a sort of reversal. What goes on in our hearts matters. Our words need to match our actions. What we do really counts. The command about coveting is key to this. Lots of people forget that one. That's one of the ones people tend to forget or say, look, it doesn't matter if I think it or fantasize about it so long as I don't do it. Who does it hurt? Who does my inner life hurt after all? But there's a deep psychological insight in this commandment. Envy of other people's spouses, of other people's possessions, of other people's lives is utterly poisonous. It's corrosive of our happiness. If you want to be truly unhappy, if you really want to be miserable, think about how everyone has a better marriage than you or has a marriage when you don't or how free single people are or that they have a nicer house or a better car or they go skiing in a better place than you do or that they own more, more investments than you do. In Australia, I hate to say, we've made envy a national sport and it makes us mean and unhappy. What's the antidote to coveting? We need to practice the first four commandments and know about the generosity of the Lord who blesses us in every way. It's not enough to just pluck out that last commandment and say, stop coveting, stop envying people. We need to know that what we have, we have as a blessing from the Lord who saves us, who wants us as his treasured possession. And practicing the four first four commandments is about being transformed by the grace of God, by the character of God himself. It's no accident that researchers have found a correlation between those who pray and those who read the Bible regularly. In, in other words, those who have an active relationship with the God of Jesus Christ and those who are actually kind and generous and faithful. It's no accident that people who worship the God of the universe are found to be more active in volunteering and in building the community. So here's the challenge. Are you letting yourself be moulded by the God of these commandments in his actual character? Are you letting yourself be moulded by the things God cares about? How are things going in your heart? Is it filled with the first commandment, with desire for the generous God who blesses you, who wants to be with you and for you to be with him? Or is your heart diverted by the things that other people have? Well, lastly, the Ten Commandments teaches us about love. Their greatest ever interpreter told us this. Jesus said, when someone asked him, what's the greatest commandment? He said, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and strength and soul. Wholeheartedly, with all of yourself, love him. But there's a second one like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And In those two words, Jesus summed up what we have here, summed up the Lord, the law. And Paul says it too in Romans chapter 13. He says, love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Love is the beating heart of the law. Love of God and love of your neighbor. 
And that is the most beautiful way to live your life. Immersing yourself in the love of God for you that spills over into loving your neighbor. The kind of love that the Good Samaritan showed. It's not minimalist, is it? Of course, the person who got the Good Samaritan as an answer to his question had asked Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? You know, can you provide me with a little bit of a list? Because I really want to know who, just the restricted list of people that I need to love. But Jesus said, well, love like the Good Samaritan, who loved even someone who looked like his enemy. Love says Jesus, is not minimalist. I mean, you could read the law in one way and use it to stay out of trouble. Kind of checkbox it. Tick off the list. This was the case case with the rich young ruler, who you remember came to Jesus and claimed that, yes, he could say that he'd kept some of the last six rules, no problem. He's like people I meet who say, well, I do keep the Ten Commandments, so I'm practically a Christian. But Jesus exposed him. He was in love with his wealth. He had another God before the true God. He had an idol in his life. He was worshipping another God and couldn't part with that God. He kept the law minimally, but missed the whole point. Because if you understand that love is the heart of the law, then these restrictions become the springboard for a life of loving thoughts and words and deeds. Do not steal, but instead use your possessions to do what God would have done in the world. Overflow with generosity and kindness. Do not kill, but promote life wherever you find it. Do not commit adultery, but promote healthy marriages and healthy singleness and honour the family. Do not bear false witness, but rather speak the sweet words of the truth loudly and often. Keep your promises. Rejoice in the creation and salvation of God by taking regular times of rest because you are a creature in a limited body and you need to remember the Lord your God. But what was the reaction of the people of Israel when they heard the law? You might have been surprised when you heard it at the end. They were terrified and trembled and they said, Do not let God speak to us or we will die. And perhaps that's your reaction too. Perhaps you took an honest inventory of yourself and felt rather exposed by this list. Perhaps when you heard all ten read, you realised that maybe you hadn't kept as many as you thought. That's because although this law provides direction on living, it also provides for us diagnosis, direction and diagnosis. They trembled. And we should tremble too because hearing this law acts like a great mirror to the soul. To hear the command to love is to be reminded of how we have not loved our neighbour as we ought and we have not loved God with our whole heart. Which of us could honestly say that we have kept this law? Well, one man can. As Jesus says, He's not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. He lived it. He was the three-dimensional embodiment of the Ten Commandments. He was the Ten Commandments in the flesh. He lived human life as it should have been lived, 
as a life of love for God and love for neighbours, even when the neighbours were his enemies. And that's why the New Testament doesn't tell us to obey the law so much as to imitate Jesus. But the love that Jesus embodied also led him to the cross to do in his body and with his life what the law could not do. The old law could direct us and it could diagnose us, but it could not in the end free us. The Apostle Paul puts it in this way in Romans chapter 8, one of the great passages that he wrote. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We're just hearing the law. We may well have felt condemned. We may well indeed be condemned hearing that word. But in Christ Jesus there is no condemnation, for in him the law of the spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, this sinful flesh, and to deal with sin, he condemned sin in the flesh so that the just requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us. It's one thing to teach a moral standard. Many philosophers, religious figures, self-help gurus, and even Marie Kondo teaches a kind of standard to tidy your house or whatever it might be. But Jesus does what no other moral teacher can do. He fulfills God's law for us so that our failures to love are not fatal. And with that, we have all the more reason, you and I, to give ourselves wholeheartedly heart, mind, soul and strength to the love of God and the love of our neighbours the things that he has called us to, the law of our freedom. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at www.stmarksdp.org to subscribe to our new episodes, browse more resources and find more information about the community of St Mark's.